This is The Guardian. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. The US Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade is a blow to the bodily autonomy the reproductive health, and the safety of women and people who can fall pregnant. The court overturned nearly 50 years of abortion precedent. Never before has the court granted and then taken away a widely recognized constitutional right. In roughly half the country, abortion is, as of now or soon will be, illegal. Researchers have estimated that we'll probably see our maternal mortality rates increase by about 20% with this uh, reversal of that Roe v. Wade. 20%. Restricting the right to end a pregnancy has forced more conversations about pregnancy prevention and the role of men in this. One of the issues right now is that there are only two contraceptive methods available for men, condoms and vasectomies. So according to reports from doctors in the US, interest in vasectomy procedures has spiked since the draft opinion on Roe v Wade was leaked in early May. In fact, some have even called for men's bodies to be policed too, with mandatory vasectomies. Now, I don't want to spoil anything in this episode, but it's a terrible, terrible idea. And so today in Science Weekly, we're going to find out why. We're going to delve into the history of vasectomies, their role in society today and in relation to women's reproductive health, and we're going to bust some vasectomy myths. From The Guardian, I'm Madeline Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. Georgia Granger, you're a researcher of the history of vasectomies at the University of Strathclyde. Vasectomies actually aren't really a procedure that we widely discuss, and I think there's still quite a lot of taboo and almost jokiness around them. And so a historian of vasectomies, it's an unusual title for sure. What made you want to study this in the first place? 
it was a combination of factors, but women's contraceptive choices have been so thoroughly studied. There's a lot of research into that. Whereas as far as I know, I'm the only historian of vasectomies in the English speaking language. So it just came down to thinking nobody's really looked at men's decisions around this and men's experiences of this. And surely that deserves as much research as women's experiences. And so I wanted to start us off, perhaps you could actually just spell out what a vasectomy is and what the procedure looks like today. So a vasectomy is a procedure to block the passage of sperm from getting into ejaculate in a man so that he will be permanently sterilised. And the way that it's done usually is by just snipping the little path that the uh, sperm takes from the testes, which is called the vas deferens. That's why it's a vasectomy. They snip it and sometimes they tie it, the ends, so that they won't reheal. Sometimes they cauterize them. But ultimately, it's a very small incision. It can be done without a scalpel now. Um, And it's done in about 15 minutes in a doctor's office. Usually it's an outpatient procedure. But it can't have always been this straightforward. How did vasectomies come about? When were they first developed? The first vasectomies that I can find are from about the 1880s and they tried them out on animals first, of course, but the first ones on humans were about 1884. That's a period that is before our kind of standard local anaesthetics and before antibiotics and that kind of thing. So if there were complications, it would not have been an especially nice time. And so... I can't imagine that they were very popular at this point. Were they just being used, you know, if you needed to in a kind of medical situation? Yes. So they actually weren't for contraception at first. To start with, they were used as a potential treatment for prostate problems. They thought that it would affect that. It doesn't really affect that, but they thought it might. They thought at the time that it would have all these different effects, but it didn't. But eventually, now that they have this way to sterilise men, predictably it soon becomes a weapon for eugenics. So how were vasectomies being used initially in this way? Pretty soon after the invention of vasectomies, within about 20 years, people were applying it in a eugenic way. It started in the United States, a doctor called Harry C. Sharp started vasectomizing inmates in prisons in Indiana. And at first it was thought that it might change their behavior, kind of like castrating a dog for behavioral problems. They thought that it might make the inmates less violent or less sexual. But when they realized it didn't, they kind of changed their motivation to say, oh no, we're doing it because we think that they shouldn't pass on their criminal genes. As such, it actually became really widespread. Probably over 30,000 men were vasectomized in the US for eugenic purposes in the 20th century. And eugenic sterilization was never legalized in Britain. But there were a lot of campaigns to bring it on. There was a private member's bill brought to parliament. There was a departmental committee on eugenic sterilization in Britain. So it got pretty far in terms of being considered as a tool of the state. Gosh, and 30,000 people is a lot. I assume it affected some groups more than others. Absolutely. So it 
disproportionately affected people of color, so Latino and black people especially, and Native Americans were still being eugenically sterilized uh, well into the 1970s. We think about 40% of Native American women were sterilized in the 1970s and 10% of Native American men were sterilized in the 1970s. So it disproportionately affected non-white Americans. Also, people with disabilities were the prime kind of targets. But at the time, what counted as a disability was quite different to what might be considered a disability now. So it could be someone having a mental health crisis or there's quite a few cases of men and boys being sterilized for masturbation um, because that was considered a mental illness and a disability. It's really shocking and it happening in the 1970s, it feels really recent as well. I mean, are those the most recent examples of forced vasectomies? Um, No, sadly not. It is still legal in many places, including, I believe, 31 states in the US to sterilise disabled people against their consent or without their consent. There's cases in Britain of disabled people having court orders, sterilisations well into the 2000s without the patient's consent. Since Roe v. Wade has been overturned, we have seen some people raising this idea that mandatory vasectomies are in some sense parallel to the control of women's bodies. But I think from everything that you've said, Georgia, it is clear that we should just put this idea to bed entirely. But vasectomies by choice are still an important method of contraception. So when did we begin to see vasectomies, for most people, move from something that's enforced upon them to a contraceptive option? So that shift started to happen in Britain. It was primarily in about the 1960s and 70s. Up until then, it had been believed that vasectomy might be illegal, that it might be counted as maiming because it wasn't strictly medically necessary. But at that point, you know, the pill comes onto the market. There's much more contraceptive choice. And actually, it was some of the earlier eugenicists who campaigned to bring vasectomy onto the NHS and they set up the first private vasectomy clinic in Britain in 1966, I believe. Into the 1970s, it absolutely booms in popularity. The The figures just increase kind of exponentially for a while. The pill was coming under scrutiny because there was potential health risks that people hadn't known about. Vasectomy was pitched as the safe alternative. And how effective are they now in comparison to the pill or other contraceptives? Vasectomy effectiveness figures vary quite a lot depending on which studies you're looking at. It's typically understood to be more than 99% effective, which is about the same as most widespread contraceptive options. There's a thing that can happen where the vas deferens essentially heals itself after the vasectomy, but it's widely understood to be about 0.3 to 0.6% of vasectomies that will 
recanalize is what it's called. They'll kind of spontaneously not work. The way that you described the procedure sounded quite simple, quite safe. Is this possible to reverse once you're ready to have children? So I think that's the biggest myth around it. So within three years, about 76% of reversals result in a pregnancy. But after 15 years, for example, that goes down to only 30% of reversals result in a pregnancy. And also the reversal procedure is quite a lot more intense than the original procedure. It can be much more difficult to reattach the vas deferens to each other. And so it's more invasive and it has like a longer healing time and more risks associated with it. It's Roe v. Wade being overturned that has put this renewed focus on vasectomies. But actually, bearing in mind that they're only a good contraceptive option for people who are certain that they don't want children or any more children in the future, they're not really relevant to those having abortions because many of those people will go on to have a wanted pregnancy later. So do you think that the reason people are talking about vasectomies in this context is simply a frustration that men only have two choices over their own reproduction, condoms or vasectomies? Yeah, absolutely. As you say, men want to be able to share that responsibility and uh, to help alleviate the kind of burden on a single partner in a relationship. And there's been no developments in men's reproductive health, really, since before the 20th century. Condoms existed before the 20th century. There are some trials of long-acting reversible contraceptives, so kind of like the IUD, but for men, where it would block the vas deferens but be able to remove safely after a certain period of time. But those are still only in trial stages and have been in trial stages for decades. And I think that hopefully alongside the increase in interest in vasectomy, which is a fantastic option for people who it's appropriate for, that there will be also a renewed push into funding and trialling different male contraceptive options. It would be good to see some other options for men like the semi-permanent method that you've described or gels or pills come to market. But I wonder, vasectomies have been around for such a long time and yet there is still this stigma around them. You know, even the word vasectomy can make some men wince. Were you surprised to see it being discussed so much online? And do you think that the perception of them is changing? I think there has been a shift in the perception of vasectomies probably over the last, you know, few decades, but especially recently with the growth in kind of widespread feminism, widespread calls for women's rights and recognition of women's health. And therefore, it being more appropriate or seeming more appropriate, I think it's always been appropriate for men to be discussing their contraceptive choices. One of the things I found in my research, I interviewed quite a lot of men who got vasectomies before 1990, so older men. 
And a lot of them expressed that they didn't talk about it to their friends and to their peers. And they didn't feel like it was the kind of thing that you discussed down the pub or whatever. Men should be talking to their friends about what choices they're making. Even just for their own well-being, it's good to talk about things. Like women talk about our contraceptive experiences to each other quite often. So I think that is a really positive shift. Georgia, thank you. It's been really fascinating. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks again to Georgia Granger. We've put a link to our coverage of the Roe v Wade decision on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. Now, if you're a sports fan, then listen up. The Guardian has launched the Women's Football Weekly podcast, covering everything you need to know about the Women's Euros this summer. It's hosted by Faye Carruthers and Susie Rack, and they're going to be providing instant analysis from the tournament three times a week. So search, subscribe and listen to Women's Football Weekly from The Guardian wherever you get your podcasts. And that's it for today. The producer was me, Madeleine Finley. The sound design was by Tony Onachuku. And the executive producer was Lorna Stewart. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.